0: This This is
1: the Second Second
0: Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Liv Oaf. This month marks Second Story's 20th birthday, and we're celebrating with some of our favorite stories. The story you're about to hear celebrates the process of storytelling with Second Story. When we asked this teller about her process writing and performing, she said that the story started out as something very different from what it became. Transforming from being about cooking, to about her family relationships, to about memory, about how we choose to remember and tell our stories. She says it felt like peeling an onion, until she was able to get to the heart of her story, as she says over and over. Second Story is proud to present Jessica Kanish.
1: Jess, are you awake? My dad was on the phone, calling from home, a plane ride away. Hi, Dad. I think so. This had been our routine for the last few weeks. Good. Did you sleep? I guess so. Cold February sun spilled across the bed. And what does this morning feel like? Uh, It must have been nearing 11, the morning light already starting to shift to afternoon angles. Did I miss my first class? I squinted, trying to see through the ceaseless fuzz of my mind's static. I couldn't even remember what day it was. It feels like my tongue was a cotton ball in my mouth, swelling and blocking my throat. It feels like he realized that I wasn't going to be able to finish the sentence. That's okay, Jess, it's time to get up. This seemed impossible. I can't. Jess, you can. But my face burned. I hated feeling so helpless. I know. You're not used to this. You've always wanted to do everything all by yourself. But it's okay to need help. He tried again. It's time to get up now, Jess. My legs were sandbags. I can't. On the count of three. Ready? You just have to go on three. That's all. One, Something clicks in my brain. Two, I throw off the covers. Three, my feet touch the floor. Okay, okay, I'm up. I'll call you later. Good, good, you did it. As a baby, I'd taken my first steps with my dad's help. At 20, leveled by depression, I needed him again. Until that winter, I'd been in constant motion since the day I was born. We couldn't just hold you like a normal baby, my mom would say. We'd have to have you facing out and walk around the room with you, bouncing you always. More than a few seconds of sitting still and you'd lose it. As I got older, my constant need to go, go, go intertwined seamlessly with the other thing that most deeply defines my sense of self, being good at stuff. I started reading at four, and in second grade, I'd sit in the hallway of Spring Street School in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts with an Alpha Smart machine during class, writing my first stories. I started working as an actor at 14, blowing off a month's worth of freshman year math for 10 a.m. performances of A Christmas Carol at the local professional theater, still passing my tests as though I'd never left the room. Junior year, I shot my first major film the same month as my SATs and AP exams, driving back and forth between being on set in Boston at night and filling in Scantron sheets with a number two pencil in the suburbs in the morning, nailing everything. Nailing everything was my MO. And my consistent competence led to an arrogance I didn't even realize I had. I didn't speak about it openly, of course. I didn't just walk around saying, I'm good at stuff. I mean, girls can't just talk openly about being good at stuff, am I right? <laughs> but I knew, and it wasn't just arrogance, it was, it, it was joy. I loved it. It was, is the core of how I see myself. A smart person who does things well, but not with depression. A single paragraph took days to write. The 10-minute walk to campus, an hour. My dad knew what that was like. One Saturday morning when I was 12, my mom called my younger sister Rachel and me into the living room. Girls, we need to talk. This was a voice I hadn't heard before. Not a you're in trouble voice. A something is wrong voice. Rachel and I sat tentatively on the edge of the red couch, our muscles mirroring the tension we sensed in her body. Mom, what's going on? Where's dad? Girls, she took a deep breath, a wave of energy coming over her that I couldn't name at the time, but that I now recognize as the conscious adult effort to hold it together for the kids. Dad lost his job. 10 year old Rachel immediately begins to sob Will we starve? No, sweetie, but things will be different. She was right. My dad had also never stopped moving achieving. Straight from high school to college, graduating early with honors, right into graduate school, then marrying my mom and having kids. The oldest Jewish son accomplishing everything he set his mind to, making his parents so proud. But now all of a sudden dad was home all the time and he wasn't working but he was cooking. See, up to this point, neither of my parents had been particularly enthusiastic about or skilled at cooking. They both worked, so they both made food. Simple stuff that could be thrown together quickly after a long day at the office. Chicken breasts, rice pilaf. But now, there were stir fries. Veggies piled so high they spilled out of the pan There was homemade bread risen high and sliced thick butter melting and pooling in its crevices as we cut it fresh from the oven steam curling to the ceiling and making the whole house smell like a bakery and the homemade pizza he'd make the dough from scratch and roll it out on the flour dusted counter and my sister and i would spread olive oil and tomato sauce and handfuls of mozzarella My dad spent a lot of time alone in the house those days. And as a self-absorbed preteen, I mostly wanted to be alone in my room too, so I didn't really notice how quiet he was. But when it was time for dinner, there was always food on the table, good food. Feet on the floor, 2008-ish silver flip phone, snapped shut, I heel toe my way to the kitchen. Left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. I'm up. I'm moving. It's a tiny victory, but a victory nonetheless. Next step, cereal. I braced myself. My appetite for food had dwindled even faster than my appetites for speed and success. Normally ravenous the second I'm conscious, every morning bite was an effort then. Taking a deep breath, I broke it down into steps. Grab bowl. Grab spoon. Get out cereal box, get out milk, open box lid, unroll bag. Now, closing the box and the bag and putting them back, those are advanced steps. I did not make it that far that day. Pour in cereal, add milk, insert spoon, lift spoon, open mouth. An hour later, I'd done it. I'd missed class. I'd left my homework unfinished. I'm sure I ended up leaving that cereal bowl in the sink for days, but I had gotten up and I had fed myself an achievement. I don't remember what else happened that day. Depression does that, leaving recollections blurry. But that evening, I was standing back in the kitchen, holding the healthy college cookbook I had grabbed from my roommate's side of the bookcase, looking back and forth between the page and the ingredients all lined up on the counter, ready to go. I must have managed to walk down the block to the store. (laughs) That could have easily taken an entire day. Onion, green pepper, diced tomatoes, tomato sauce, black beans, corn, olive oil, garlic, crushed red pepper. Yep, here we go. Step one, dice the onion. Chop, chop, chop. The knife shakes in my hands, but I'm soothed by the rhythm. Cut in half, then half again, then half again. My eyes water and I let the tears stream. A blocked dam loosened. Chop, 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 chop. I can't form a complex thought right now, but I can chop an onion. Chop, 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 chop. Nailed it. Here's the thing though, that's not how it happened. The nailed it part, I mean, that's how I remember it happening, but that's not how it happened. Because I didn't. Nail it, I mean. It wasn't until Teresa looked at me knowingly across the table after I read a draft of this story out loud for the first time and said so gently, but so firmly, Jess, the whole rhythm of that chop 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 section is lovely, but you actually couldn't really do that at first? Like, You were actually very bad at it. So here's what really happened. Olive oil, garlic, crushed red pepper. Yep. here we go. Step one, dice the onion. Okay, Uh, I guess I cut it in half first, chop. Uh, That's more like one third and two thirds, but okay. Uh, And half again. Chop. This time it's a full-on diagonal line, leaving four misshapen chunks on the cheap plastic board. I suck at this. The knife shakes in my hands. Chop, 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 chop. Uneven pieces fly everywhere, some as big as a quarter, others as small as a hangnail. I survey the damage, the counter strewn with these little white chunks, and I think about giving up, just leaving the mess. Who cares if my roommate gets pissed? I mean, she leaves messes all the time. Who cares, who cares, who cares? I repeat that out loud as I stare at the mess. Who cares? I sweep the onions into a frying pan, and I move on to the pepper. I keep going like my dad taught me. I called my dad too, actually, when I sat down to write this story. I'd gotten this far, as far as the onion and the pepper, and then I realized I didn't really remember anything else. Dad, when I first started really cooking for the first time that terrible winter in college, that was your idea, right? We had some inspiring conversation where you taught me that. Uh, not that I can remember, honestly. I can practically see his dark eyes squinting through the phone, eyes that look exactly like mine when we smile. I think that was your idea. Hmm. I think of myself chopping onions and him making bread. But it wasn't until Teresa called me out on my shitty dicing skills that I remembered that inspiring conversation I was looking for. My dad and I had had it years before. It wasn't about cooking, though. Two years prior to the winter of my discontented onion chopping, I'd tested into my first college calculus class, which was just a little harder than what I could handle. Unwilling to admit that I needed to drop down a level, I'd stuck with it, barely passing, and only then because I'd made friends who helped me with the homework in exchange for snacks. My face burning with shame, I called my dad to tell him about a D on a test and he shocked me. That's good, Jess. Maybe the lesson here is to learn to own being bad at something. I remember the revelation that came then. I can suck at things and the world will not end. Of course, this revelation faded until I'd forgotten it. My brain weaving my neurons into a tapestry of remembered success hangnail onion mess became perfectly diced excellence, in hindsight. Even now, I want to look at you all and say, I get it now, finally. And you know, I might, but even if I do, I might not get it tomorrow. Because sometimes you have to keep learning the lesson over and over. You chop and you dice over and over. You finish one meal, and a few hours later, there you are, starting all over.
0: Your palms are sweaty. This story was produced by Ali Drum, curated by Nick Ward, directed by Amanda Delheimer, and music and sound design by Shane Longbeam. The Second Story podcast is produced by me, Liv Oaf. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Streehouse Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a city arts grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, our 2018 to 2019 season sponsor, Scadden, ARP, Slate, Meagher, and Flom, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Liv Oaf, and this This is the Second Second
1: Story Podcast.